forget to see all the little ways that lives are changed. You know, the, a kid that makes the decision last weekend, a uh, family that gets a home in Mexico, um, all the different things that we get to do make a difference. And so um, uh, I want to make sure we understand when you come and you sit down in here, just walking in and sitting in here, it makes a difference. Every time you go online and you watch online something, it's supportive. It makes a difference, you know, and um, I call it padding the stats, right? We're just padding the stats, but um, that's how we, you know, especially in the last two years, how we start to recognize, you know, do we still exist? Do we still matter? You know, God's around. He's not done yet, and he keep moving without us, but are we here part of it? And so it's great to see these reports and things like that, you know, and um, Jan, speaking, huh? All right, I'm booking you. <laughs> All right. So good. Thank you so much for coming back and being part of that. And looking forward to the Mexico meeting today. So um, you guys ready? ready? Ready. Let's get going. We're Hosea chapter two uh, this week. We started a new book last week, the prophet Hosea. And uh, very little is known about him other than just the one book that we believe he wrote. And uh, it's an interesting story. Uh, God asked him to marry a prostitute. Not a normal request, usually from God. He usually says, you know, get up and go to this land or don't eat this food or something like that. Um, and we're going to see how it works out for Hosea. But what I want you to see today is chapter two. We're not even going to talk about him or her. Hosea is going to start his poetic prophecy. And it's about Israel and Judah and God, mostly God. But I want us to see some things that are true about God when he deals with his people. Why? Why do I want you to see that? Because we're, we're his people and he deals with them, right? Well, what does deals mean, Scott? That's what we're going to find out. Let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll get started. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for... Uh, the things that we get to celebrate and praise, uh, students' lives changed, people serving in the church, uh, people investing and taking time, traveling to help people in need. And I, I trust, Lord, that you would bless these things, bless those that serve in them, uh, bless those that pray for it and honor it, and may all of them be a step in our attempt to connect with you, that we might be followers of Christ. And uh, may our time this morning be towards that. Lord, we thank you for the energy and the worship this morning. The singing was just glorious. I trust it made you proud. And I pray that our time in your word would do the same. And we pray that uh, our time will glorify, honor, exalt your son, draw attention to him, why he's important, what he's done and continues to do. And so help us accomplish that this morning. Pray this in your son, Jesus name. Amen. 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 Hey, um, one more uh, thing I want to just mention. Um, we had a funeral here yesterday and a uh, one of my former students and her, her husband passed of COVID. 
back in November and uh, had the privilege of doing their wedding 20-ish something years ago. Um, he barely made 40 and then they had moved to Idaho and all the friends and family are still back here and Leanne called and said, hey, be possible for Rock Bible to host a gathering. Host a gathering? Every single seat was full. Every th everything in the balcony was full. We had people stand, like 30-something people stand in the back. Wait, is this being recorded? Is the fire marshal going to come? Uh, we had people standing in the balcony uh, honoring Andrew and honoring God crying and blubbering and telling stories and, and uh, you know, not a family that's currently involved in the church, um, but something that four of the people at the church got to see, the McGrogan guys worked the table, I did the sermon and Brent set up. Um, but it's, it's, it was a reminder to me of this is why we exist in one way. Um, please remember that there's a bunch that goes on here that you can't remember because you didn't see it and you're not meant to see everything. But let's continue to trust the Lord that we get to do and provide those kind of things for people. And uh, it was it was a great, great time. They invaded the fellowship hall and brought food and people were around for hours just talking and what a great thing. So, uh, so thank you for that too. Uh, Hosea chapter 2 verse 1. We've just finished chapter um, 1 and um, th there was this, you know, this idea of Hosea marrying this prostitute, the whole thing, and they have some kids and it's kind of implied that the second and third kids weren't actually his, but she was off to her old practices and, and yet God's going to name those kids and Hosea is going to be the father to him and the whole thing. And it was a, an analogy of how God relates to his people and how they go off and cheat on him and he continues to take them back and continues to provide for him and the whole thing. Um, at the end of the chapter, it talks about this, this day when uh, God is going to bring everybody back together. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, that'd be Israel and Judah, it, we're going we're gonna to reunite them. Again, they're going to be called my people. And it's this fun little, yeah, there's hope in the distance, right? Um, we believe in hope in the distance. Yeah, sometimes we believe of hope in the near, right? But that's the implication, finishing chapter one, right when we walk into this first verse of chapter two, where it says, uh, say to your brothers, you are my people. <clears throat> say to your sisters, you have received mercy. This is a great little um, kind of come full circle from the first chapter. It said, you know, you had, a, you had a child and you named her No Mercy. And then you had a son and you named him Not My People. Uh, they were commentary on not just what the wife had done, but what God's people had done to God and his response to him. And he says, you know, someday I'm going to bring everybody back together. Someday I'm going to fix, I'm going to heal, I'm going to restore. And he says, in that day, here's what I want you to say to your brother. You are my people. To your sister, uh, you have received mercy. Why those two phrases? 
Because it's the opposite of what, they, what the son and daughter were named in the first chapter. Um, does God withhold his mercy forever? Say no, right? Uh, does God want his people? Yes. Yeah. And does he like calling them mine? Yeah, they're mine, right? Now, they don't act like it sometimes, just like my kids, right? But um, that's the direction he's going, and that's what he wants to see, okay? Uh, no matter when uh, happens with us or, or when we doubt or we run off a skewed direction, there's a bigger thing going on with a bigger agenda, and he's undefeated. Amen? Okay. So uh, verse 2, after we tell them that you are people and you do have mercy, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Now this is uh, Hosea writing about Israel, not his actual wife, as if it's God speaking, right? He's going to say uh, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as the day she was born. Ooh, I thought we were doing mercy and we're our people again. All of a sudden we're stripping down and like sending them back to their birth condition. <clears throat> I need you to see something that's kind of fun, Okay. Um, I went to church for a lot of years, and it wasn't fun. Anybody? Yeah, I've done that, right? Nobody's doing that now, right? Put your hands down. <laughs> My goodness. Um, there's, there's fun stuff in Scripture. Irony, symmetry, uh, double meaning, uh, stuff that comes back around, right? Um, the, the wife that Hosea was told to take, what was her job again? Don't say it. <laughs> that job usually, well, you have to not have clothes on, right? There's no way other way to say it. And it's almost as if God is saying to Israel, if you want to play that game, I can make it so you're naked all the time. You want to do stuff that requires nakedness? Well, I can show you nakedness that you won't like because you weren't supposed to like it in the first instance. I can strip you down. I can make you look like when you were born. Why? Because you've been returning to that on your own for ill gain, for the wrong reasons. I mean, that's good writing. Oh, you want to strip? Oh, we could play that game, right? You want to turn for me? Well, we're turning now. Okay, well, I can turn from you too for a little while. Uh, but I'm going to drag you back, no matter your condition. And we're going to make it right. Um, and make her like a wilderness, going off towards nothing. Right? That's symbolism too, for when you go off and you chase sin. You're, you're headed out into the wilderness. You think there's something out there. Right? Most of the time, all there is is something to stand on and air to breathe. And even then, sometimes you feel like you're suffocating when we chase sin. Uh, make her like a parched land. What's, what's wrong with parched land? This is a simple question for anybody who knows what parched means. What are you? No 
you know, water, which means you, you're in a condition. When you have no water, there's a condition, a, a, a feeling. Dehydration is a bodily condition. And what does it make you feel? What do you, what do you say? I say, hey, how are you doing? And you say, I'm so thirsty. thirsty, right? That's a desire, thirst. You see what he's doing with the writing? You've chased desires. If desires is what you want to honor and pursue, I can show you some more desires and you won't like them, right? Wilderness, the desire for something and you have nothing. Parched, the desire for water and you have none. Um, it's a lesson in careful what you chase. Careful what you ask for. One of my favorite little phrases. Careful what you ask for. You just might... You just might get it, right? Um, love the phrase, hate that it's true, right? Because I've pursued some wrong things plenty of times. How'd that turn out? Yeah, not good, ruined relationships. Now I got to repent and figure out how do I keep from doing that next time, which is really kind of the theme of this chapter, right? Israel, stop doing what you're doing and kill her with, there's our word, thirst, Upon her children also, I will have no mercy. You keep going like this. Your generations will be fine, but your immediate kids will be affected, right? When we sin, is there collateral damage? Does it affect the people around you? Yeah, some of you, uh, God bless you, have dealt with the ramifications of someone else's sin in family or in friendship, and you've tried to help and serve. That's rough. Right? It's going to affect the kids, it says, uh, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. Which there's, I think there's a little weird irony there too. right? Um, conception is supposed to be a gift. Amen? Um, there's people that pursue that and want to have kids and they do everything they can. They want the blessing of children and it eludes them. And they finally get it um, and praise God and they and their partner, they have this gift. Right? It's one of the great things in life, in scripture, in his kingdom, the proliferation of life. Be fruitful and multiply. What a crazy, amazing gift. And yet she pursues it shamefully. There's a wrong way to deal with everything. Yeah? yeah. Is there a wrong way to handle money? Yeah. Is there a wrong way to handle your time? Um, you, you know that like 90% of people are using their car the wrong way, right? There's a wrong way to use your car, right? You see them every day, every time you drive your car, right? Almost all of them. Guilty, right? Um, the question is, how can we take God's gifts and use them within design as he created? And then see where that road goes. Um, and then what desires does he give you? Ooh, ones that point you the right direction? I want to serve, help. Bless, honor, heal. When you genuinely help somebody, how do you feel after? Amazing. Let's do that again, right? One trip to Mexico a year is not enough. I suggest that we must go twice, right? 
Why? Because it's godly. It's righteous. Uh, for she said, I will go after my lovers. Who's, in this analogy, in this poem, from this prophet, who's your lover supposed to be? Okay, good. All right, God. Right? Um, and she went after, out, uh, went after others. Uh, who give me my bread and my water. What? Bread and water come from your lovers? Does that feel off? That's right. He's going to clarify here in a second. My wool, flax, oil, my drink. I get all of my provisions from my lover. Well, technically, that should be true. Because who should your lover be? You just said. Should be God. Who provides all things? God. Yeah, Scripture says. All good things come down from heaven above. Father of light, in whom there is no shifting shadow. Amen. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. You want to go after things? I'm going to keep you from even moving. You're going after comfort? I'm going to give you thorns. And I will build a wall against her that she cannot find her paths. God protecting her? Doesn't that sound like punishment? Thorns and hedged up and there's a wall and she can't find anything. Oh man, he's so mean. Really? How about protecting you from yourself? Maybe this is actually his one of his first steps of provision and getting you back on the right track. Uh, so she cannot f- find her path. Verse 7, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She will be frustrated because she'll never get what she wants. And she uh, shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. Who's the first husband in this analogy? God. Why? Because when it stops working, you know, when we hit low or bottom, what do we tend to do? (laughs) Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'll be good the rest of my life if you just get me out of this, right? We return. It's this vicious cycle. You see it in the Old Testament over and over. Things go well and you prosper and you forget God and then you do your own thing and it goes poorly and then all of a sudden it, you crash and it's like, oh wait, where's God again? Right? I gotta go back to church. You know? I gotta go back and watch all the previous podcasts just to make sure I, I get better. It's, uh, it doesn't work that way. Right? Um, I'm gonna return to my first husband for it was better for me than then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, oil, who lavished on her silver and gold. Wait, I thought we were talking about flax and stuff. Where did the silver and gold come from all of a sudden? You were chasing basic needs. I want to show you even beyond basic needs. I'm going to show you silver and gold. Flax and wool? I mean, that's good. And we'll have that. But what about the shiny fun stuff? that you can use this currency to do even more. Want to pursue me? Because that's where I'm going. Or you can hang out in the wilderness, thirsty and thorned up. Did not know that it was me. Which they use for Baal. Uh, Baal is a common term in the Old Testament for Lord or Master. And it was technic, uh, technically used most of the time as the name for a pagan god in that area. Um, 
which is interesting because it doesn't mean God. It means Lord or Master. Oh, so you're being lorded over and you're being mastered by something, but it's not God. And you're wasting the provisions of the real God on this fake master. You're squandering. Um, insert story of prodigal son, first half of the story, right? Just wanders off and squanders everything that his father had given him, right? And then he realized, wait, it was better for me when I was back at dad's. In fact, even if I was a slave back at dad's, I'd be doing better than I'm now. Let's go back and be a slave for dad, right? It's a very short version of the prodigal son story. Um, I'll return to my first husband. Therefore, verse 9, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Ooh. You were getting supplies and provision and then running, and, or running around to use it towards your nakedness and your desires and your passions rather than using it for what God intended, it was actually the opposite. Um, have you ever felt like you were running along and realized, gosh, I think I'm in opposition to God right now. I'm running the opposite direction of where I think he wants me to go. He's saying, yeah, stop doing that. Uh, now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and, lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and, I will, and all her appointed feasts. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lover has given to me. I will have them for a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the fake lords and masters. Uh, it's kind of fun and interesting what he says. Um, you know, no one will be able to rescue her from my hand. That's kind of funny. Because it makes sense. Like, God's got a hold of me. He's withholding these things from me. I know I feel like that at times. Um, in the story, though, he's doing that to get her attention. Her being Israel... I'm withholding some of these things because I need you to hit your knees. I need you to repent and turn and come back and figure out that uh, the direction you're heading is worse than where you could be. If that's true, where's the safest place for Israel to be? No one can take him from my hand. Well, I don't want anybody to take you, me from your hand because in the palm of your hand is the safest place for me to be. The double meaning in Hosea should be something you're looking for in every sentence because the book starts off with double meaning. Go marry a prostitute because I want you to see what it's like to be God and have your people cheat on you. We started with double meaning. And now we're going to see it in a whole bunch of different ways. And it's fun how they do it uh, through poetry. You ready for some double meaning? First 13 chapters. Ooh, rough. Right? Words we don't want to say all the time around young kids. Guess what's going to happen in verse 14? Happy, happy fun time. Okay? Watch this. God's going to switch gears and go to another meaning. Right? Verse 14. 
Uh, when she burned offerings, oh, we didn't finish 13, sorry. You know, keep, no, go back to, keep going. This is the end of 13, and then we'll hit the happy at 14. Uh, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord, there's the final statement on it, right? You forgot me. Um, did he forget them? No. Enter verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Oh, you want to be allured? I can play that game too. And bring her into the wilderness. I thought wilderness was supposed to sound bad in the last section. Now I'm going to allure her, bring her out into the wilderness, right? Speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her new vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. Is this starting to sound positive? Ooh, does he want Israel back? Does he love Israel? Yeah. Um, Hosea hasn't been mentioned, nor his family or his wife. Um, is Hosea supposed to love her? Come on, people. Yes. yes. Okay, good. We're going to have some interactive portions of the morning here at times. I know I'm a little unpredictable. Next slide. Uh, and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. We're going to return to back when we had a good relationship. As at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And this is one of the evidences or proofs we would say he must be talking about Israel because we're pretty sure Gomer didn't come from Egypt, right? Um, we're going to remember back when who was totally in charge, who was protecting, providing, um, who was everything. Uh, God was as they were coming out of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, verse 16, you will call me, ooh, we've stopped talking about her and, the, and we've, we've replaced her with you. Interesting. Now it's getting personal. Uh, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my ball. You're not going to think of me as a master anymore. You're not going to think of me as a Lord anymore. We're going to be in an intimate relationship. Um, I love this. If, I, if I'm going to have a relationship with the almighty and powerful God, right, all-knowing, ever-present, ever-capable, do I want him to be like a taskmaster or a project manager? Here's your list of things to do. Check in with me in a month. How'd you do? Did you meet your quota? I don't want that kind of relationship with God. I want a relationship with God where I wake up in the morning and we're trying to get our coffee together and then we sit and eat and we talk, what are we accomplishing today and how's it going? Do you need help with that? And all that came. By the end of the day, what are we doing? We're sitting back at that same table again, finishing dinner and talking about this relationship that we have. We're working stuff together. Um, it's a great statement. Verse 17, for I will remove the names of the balls from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. Ooh. Part of what their power was is we gave them a name. Once we give them a name, we can worship them. Um, and we, we have value in our relationships. But I fear that in our Western modern culture, we like to do the whole name thing, labels, and that's your value. No. I could change your name right now. I could start calling you Wanda. 
yeah, but I'm a guy. Yeah, I don't need, I'm not even going to call you a guy anymore. I don't know. There's so many weird names. I can't pick them and get them right ever. How about I just say you're important. You're valuable. Let's hang out. I want to help. Let that be the value rather than your stinking title. Now we start to look at it differently. What does God say? You're my people. Let's talk tenderly. Let's hang out. Let's be together. Love that, that uh, we, we got names no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the creeping things on the ground. Ooh, what's that start to sound like? Remember any passages in the Bible where they talked about the uh, beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the creepy things on the ground? Isn't that the beginning of the book? Like the whole book? What's Hosea and God trying to get us to think about? Back to the beginning of what is original design. We're supposed to be in this great relationship together. Back where uh, he said to Adam and Eve, you're going to have dominion over everything. You have responsibility and opportunity. What will you do with it? Well, I'm going to go play with the snake and eat some fruit. No. Uh, we got to look and have that feel, right? And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. I will make you lie down in what? Safety. safety. God want to punish us or God want to give us safety, right? Um, we find punish real easy. We squander, we find um, consequences, right, of our own actions. God says, yeah, let's, let's, Let's stop that. Verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. You memorize verses? Let me rephrase. That was a horrible question. How often do you memorize verses? Much better question, right? I'm assuming that you do it. What about that fun little simple sentence? and I will betroth you to me forever. Who's speaking? God. What's he want? Betrothal. We don't use that word anymore. What's the word we use? What does God want? Relationship. Starts with M and rhymes with carriage. He wants a marriage with us. He says covenant. You see the very first word on the slide up there? Covenant. We don't use that word anymore. We like contract and promise and keep your word. God says, yeah, those are all cute little phrases. I do covenant. And it's weightier than anything you can come up with. Because when I talk covenant, I'm telling you what the future will be. There's no room for error because error is impossible. Covenant's what's going to happen. I'm God. I always win. I know everything. I know what you'll be tempted by. I know what you'll chase. I know the things you'll think, the emotions and the feelings that you'll have. I know all the directions you're going to go. And in the end, you will be mine because I will bring you back to me. This is called covenant and I'm God. Simple question. Does God ever break covenant? No. Do we ever break covenant? 
Yo, we don't ask that question, right? Somebody, please take the knife out of my back, right? Um, I had a uh, seminary professor. He was uh, more into Old Testament, and he taught Hebrew as well, and the whole thing. And he had this little phrase. He says, "Love God, and always keep the covenant." Love God and always keep the covenant. Um, God already does that. He always keeps the covenant. And then watch this. Uh, I'm going to betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love. Chesed is the Hebrew word, I believe, right there. And in, what's that word? Mercy. Mercy. Remember uh, the daughter's name, No Mercy? He said, yeah, I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about me. You do no mercy, and you act like no mercy, and I'll let you run that direction for a little while, but I do mercy. I show mercy. Verse 20, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Wait, what just happened there in that sentence? Scott, I need to talk. Can we, can we go have some coffee? I've got some questions. I don't feel God. I'm not sure if he's saying anything to me right now. The Bible's confusing. I don't know how to pray. Um, I just wish that we were closer and I knew him. Is that even possible? I mean, God signed me up for um, failure in a job where I cannot provide you a whole relationship with God ever. That, that sounds futile, unless it's actually possible. And look at that sentence. And you shall know the Lord. Apparently, that's possible. Question is, how do you pursue it? How do you do it? You know, and for some of us, it's like, oh, I just have never done that before. Well, yeah, well, you could take two cylindrical wheel type things and put some metal on it, and you could actually balance on that and use it for travel. Yeah, but I've never done that before, and Dad's not here to help me. Okay, well, what do you want to do? You set up the bike at the top of the driveway at the apartment complex and you take the training wheels off. And then you just go, all right, let's do this. How's that go the first time? Bam, right? Remember the old Batman show? Like they'd be fighting or something and the big old thing across the screen, bam. Um, the second attempt down the driveway at the apartment complex on the no, uh, training wheel bicycle with dad not there how's the second attempt go bam and then when there was boom and crash ow lots of them what happens when dad comes home at the end of the day dad come here look what i can do our relationship with the lord is the same amen but too many, many of us are like, oh, I'm just going to keep riding on the training wheels and then I'm going to ride off and go do something else. When you could be learning how to ride the bike without the training wheels. Really fun. Um, that actually all happened. Yes. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Um, 
And in that day, verse 21, I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel. What's with all the answering? There's a call. There's a tension. There's need, there's want, there's hope and thought and feeling. Does God have answers? Yeah. Are all the things we call for appropriate? No. But there's always answers, even for the inappropriate calls, right? What's the answer for those? Yes, or as my dad would say, no. When we would bug him and he would say no, and then we keep bugging him, he'd just get louder and louder with his no. It almost became cartoony, you know? First time he'd be serious, and hey dad, can we have a cookie? No. No, dad, I really want a cookie. No. And then we really pushed him, he'd, he'd get goofy about it, right? This is part of why I am the way I am, right? <laughs> Dad's fault, you got a goofy pastor. Um, but God answers. Sometimes he says no, sometimes he says yes. You know why? Because he screens our calls. Get out your outline. Look at the top. We got a lot of calls that we make. We got a lot of calls coming in. When your phone rings, I guarantee, I know you screen your calls now all the time. Right? Some of you don't even have landlines at your house anymore. Or if you do, you got a phone that displays the number where it's coming from. I just moved into a new place and the landline blows up all day long with random numbers. Click, click. I just pick it up, put it down. Waste of time. Why? Because there's some things we shouldn't be spending our time on. And then you got to be really careful because sometimes when that phone rings, if you don't see, if you don't screen the call and recognize that it's somebody important, you can pick up and hang up and you just lost them. Right? Distant relative several states away wants to know how Carol's doing. Whoa, 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 hey, we're here. Right? Um, we want that God to do that for us, and God wants us to do that with him. Right? A couple different ways to look at that. Um, uh, in that day, declares the Lord, and they shall, right before 23, and they shall answer Jezreel. It's a, I'm going to remind you what Jezreel means. God will sow. We're going to get back to recognizing where does sowing happen. God makes things happen. He starts things. He plants seeds. He, he starts. He finishes too. And we kind of deep down, we know, oh, ultimately uh, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Jesus died for my sin. I have fire insurance now. No, we were meant to look at him as a starter because that's where we get confused. You know, if I just work a little bit harder, I'm going to go get this other job and then I'm going to save some money and we're going to go on this and do that. And we start to look like we're the initiator and we're the starter. And God wants us active. Amen. Six days you shall work and on the seventh you shall rest. He wants us active but he wants us to be clear on who's the project manager, who's the boss, who's calling the shots, 
And how often are you checking in with them? And what's that relationship like? Is it more like a marriage or you just a servant? Meant to be, meant to be more than that. Uh, verse 23, and I will show her for myself in the land. I will sow her. Whoa. So a major change just happened. All the talk up to this point for two chapters has really been about all the stuff that God provides when he starts this, when he sows this seed, when he uh, starts a process. Who just became the plant and the seed? Jezreel or Israel. You now are what I'm sowing. Wait, I, I thought we were in a marriage. Now we're, now we're seeds? You're planting a seed to start something and make something happen and we're the actual seed rather than something for us. We're going to be something for other things. Getting out of ourselves, selfless. Remember I said double meaning? We're sowing seeds. What was her job? There's a sowing of seeds in that act too. There's a little double meaning going on here. Um, God is blatant. Why? Because we're thick-headed and it takes us a while to get the point. Right? Um, so very ironic there. And I will have mercy on no mercy. I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And, you, and he shall say, Let's, let's do this last one together, okay? I'm going to read the top, and then when we get to the last four words, we're all going to read it out loud, yeah? Um, and I, I will say uh, to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, You are my God. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Uh, interesting how we were talking about Hosea and his wife and the three kids, and we get a few names out of that, and then all of a sudden God just runs full speed into, now I need to talk to you about Israel and whether you follow or not. Um, do we see two sides of God? First 13 verses were kind of negative. Last set of verses was positive. What are we to take from that? Which one is he? Oh, he's both. Um, which one do you have a shot at? both. Uh, where are we going with this? Better start screening your calls and picking where you sow your seed because you could get yourself in trouble. Um, when we're screening our calls or when God's screening our calls, uh, what do we want to pay attention to? Um, I love this verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. That's actually... Um, last chapter and I left it in there because I wanted us to be remembering that's why he screened us our calls to get us back to children of living God right um, first one is this uh, God takes our calls seriously God takes our calls seriously you, you ever ignore calls someone calls and they're like, oh, uh, send a voicemail right I had a phone, part of the, okay, so God messes with me 
in cute little ways sometimes. Those are the ones I enjoy. When he messes me with big things, not so much. Don't like that. Um, I was getting ready for this, and I'm doing the whole calls thing and screening calls and da-da, and God will answer, and God will answer, and God will answer. And I get a phone call during the week. It says anonymous. And I'm looking, anonymous? Well, that's always bad. What's the phone number? There's no phone number. There's no way to track it. When I go to check, push the info button and scroll down to say block this call, I can't even block the call because it doesn't show a number. So somebody's figured out how to call you and be totally unknown. And I'm looking at that and going, yeah, send a voicemail. Two seconds later, what happens? They call again. Like, wait a minute, anonymous? This is the same one. Send a voicemail, right? A few seconds later, what happens again? They call again. You know why do they do that? Because it works sometimes. Because aggressive, confrontational, oppositionally defiant ADHD type guys who are red-blooded and want to win, we want to answer the phone and say, why the heck are you calling me? How come I can't see your number? Why do you come up as anonymous? So I took the call. Some accent talking about, you know, we have your address. Is it okay if we post your address? And da, 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 da. No, you have permission for nothing. In fact, you have permission to not ever call me again and take my number off your list. Don't call me. Hang up. What happened a few seconds later? It calls back. Send a voicemail. A few seconds later, he calls five times. I just kept sending them. Some calls we take seriously, some calls we don't take seriously. Right? I was telling a story at the funeral yesterday. I hadn't heard from Andrew in a really long time. Phone comes up. Andrew. Oh my gosh, I haven't heard from him in so long. Click, Andrew. It's so good to hear from you. How you been, man? Actually, this is Leanne. All of a sudden, that phone call got real serious. We take that seriously. Right? When my phone has one of my kids come up on the screen and they're calling me, guess who has my attention? Right? And no apologies for this one. If I'm ever in a meeting with any of you and Julie calls, bye. <laughs> I'm talking to my lover, my betrothed, my covenant. I'll be with you in a minute, right? Ding, honey, what's up? Right? Which all good husbands should do, right, ladies? Okay. Um, when we get in trouble, is God take us seriously? When we start calling things that are outside of God, does he take that seriously? Yeah. Will he let us have the ramifications of our decisions? Yeah. And he'll say, oh, you want to pursue nakedness? I'm going to show you what nakedness is really like. Because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. God takes these things seriously. Uh, and you know, we see that in verse 13. He says, look, the verse 13 is the worst one pretty much. And everything leads verse 13 is pointing at the idea that God takes us seriously. He's paying attention. 
He will mess with the prophet just to get everybody to see what's actually going on. Love that. And hate that. Right? Uh, when you try to do the right thing, is God going to take that seriously? Is there a blessing out of that? Are you going to get it immediately? You guys want to stick around and ask second service? Does God always give you what your blessing is immediately? Does He make you wait? Does He ask you to wait? Does He give you something else to work on in the meantime? Does He put you in a position to enhance your future blessing because you're going to work on something else for a little while? Oh my goodness, that actually makes sense, God. Yeah, it's straight out of the passage. Why don't you go do this? Go sow something. Because you're the sow from God, right? Um, second thing, uh, how would you like God to direct you? How would you like him to direct you? And that's really the, the underlying question that never really comes out in this, in this passage um, other than the subtleness of and in that day they will remember that it was better for them then than now. It implies decision. It calls us to, you know, you want God to show you wilderness? Because he just said he would show wilderness in both scenarios. Right? You're going to go out to the wilderness. Or I'm going to lure you out to the wilderness and speak tenderly to you. I'm thinking I like the second one. Right? So what can we do to push the direction that God gives us? I mean, do we influence God? Oh, we don't want to answer that one, do we? <laughs> God is unchanging. He cannot be mocked or stopped. You cannot influence Him. Really? Ask the Lord the desires of your heart. If you're a so, are you supposed to be doing something? What's that going to be? Do you have choice in that? Love this. The seminary professor for counseling and some of the other things that we did talked about the idea that generally the desires of your heart, of where you really want to go, that are wholesome, holy, they turn out to be the will of God. So those of you who think, oh, the will of God is this lofty, idealistic thing that I must pursue and find over years, and who knows if I'll ever get there, and I'm not worthy of it. Okay. But how about the little math questions of why did God give you the talents and passions, thoughts, and feelings? You think he's leading you through those little things? Right? Does he make little goofy things happen in your life, like five phone calls in a row to help you go down a path to where you're going to do your lesson? Absolutely. For those of you who think, oh, well, no, God wants me to have the desires of his heart, so I don't have to worry about the will of God. You know, and we're, he give us choice, and we can't know how everything's predetermined anyway, so I'm just going to Follow my feelings and man, whoa, careful. Because there's this big will of God thing, right? 
Even Jesus said it, not my will be done, but your will be done, right? So when it comes to desires of your heart and God's will, which one's most important? Both. Well, how can my desires of my heart be as important as God's will? Who put the desires there? Do you think that God ever lets those two things function mutually exclusive of one another? This is all we're doing, folks. Tied together, twisted out. I mean, it's all connected. Amen? So, um, we see that in verse 14, everything that follows. Uh, Lastly, one step in his direction leads you to the what? Any guesses? Usually when you make a phone call and you're frustrated, you're tired of dealing with the underlings, I want to speak to the I want to speak to the manager, right? One step in the right direction leads you to the manager, right? Which is a little bit of play on words with the ball, the Lord or master, right? Um, But where are we really trying to get to? We're trying to get back to God. Uh, what What if we let him manage for a while and we step in the direction he's managing and see if we can get on beyond like a manager-employee relationship to a marriage covenant that's tender, intimate. That's what God wants for us. Uh, have you ever decided that? You ever made that decision? Uh, Jose is trying to figure it out with his wife. God's providing that to his people, which you are one. What are the calls you've been making? How has he been screening your calls? What are the calls he's making? How has he been screening your calls? What do you want to do to pursue him? If you need to make that decision today, start today. Even with the little things. Lord, thanks for this morning and thank you for Uh, your continued involvement with us and how you direct and lead and we uh, try to find the paths and I pray Lord you would help us all to see the things that you call us to and how do we stick to it and then Lord uh, show us when you reject our calls or when you take our calls and help us to see both sides And then, Lord, let us trust you, pursue you. If you're here this morning and you want to make that decision, uh, let me know. Raise your hand, stand up, come talk to me after. But let's get that journey started. Father, we thank you for the offering we're about to receive. Pray you bless it. Amen. But for you, today, 
may he sow you. Amen? Amen. Go with him.